I went down to St. James Infirmary. That's where I found my baby there. She was stressed out on a long white table. So sweet, so cold, so fair. Welcome back to the Knife with the Gunfight. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, and I have. Uh, an interesting interview today with a friend of mine from middle school, uh, Sergeant Tristan Ferguson, uh, a detective with the Baltimore Police Department and my classmate at Falstaff Middle School in uh, Baltimore, Northwest Baltimore, from 1994 to 1996. Tristan and I will be interviewing Baltimore journalist Justin Fenton about his book on the Gun Trace Task Force, Baltimore Police Corruption. We own this city. But before doing that, I wanted to catch up with Tristan and get a sense of his perspective. Uh, in any case, this uh, interview's been sitting around for a little while, so it's a little out of date. So I wanted to update my uh, music recommendation. Your uh, viewing recommendation uh, is the new movie on Netflix by TT the Artist. Uh, and uh, produced by Issa Rae uh, called Dark City Beneath the Beat about uh, Baltimore club music. Um, I interviewed TT about about three years ago uh, early on in this project and uh, friends including Erica Bridgeford, Easy Jackson, and Kondwani Fidel participate uh, in this sort of love letter to uh, Baltimore club music and uh, song that you're hearing in the intro and the outro on this track is the song Hey Baltimore featuring friend of the podcast Easy Jackson so stay tuned so sweet so cold so fast hey 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 Baltimore Welcome back to the Knife at the Gunfight. I'm here with one of my best friends from seventh grade. <laughs> seventh grade, that's a long time, man. Jeez. At Falstaff Middle School Good in Northwest Falstaff. Baltimore. Yep. Detective Tristan Ferguson of the Baltimore Actually, Police Department. Sergeant Ferguson now. Sergeant Ferguson. Promotion. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Congratulations on everything. Career, house. Yeah, we got, we, got, we got little babies. You beat me to it, though. Your, your kid's a little older than mine. Yeah, I mean, we waited a while, but, you know. <laughs> But it's it's good to hear from you. I um, you know, I, as much as I have of a resentment towards uh, Zuckerberg, I think we owe our our friendship at this point a little bit to Facebook. Yeah. yeah. What's funny is I have a memory like 
the there's a very small moment where I think you and I stepped out of our comfort zones a little bit, and we're just mm-hmm. like, let's just be friends today. <laughs> and we went out to uh, the what do you call it, the Reisterstown Road Plaza. Yeah, I have a vague recollection of seeing a movie. <laughs> I have no idea what movie it was. I don't remember either, but you know, and and, and I'll be honest, man, it's like at that age, you know, completely different cultures, right? And I'll be honest, I didn't even understand or know anything about, you know, Jewish culture or, you know, I hadn't even been around white people for that, you know, (laughs) for that matter. So it's like I've always been an open minded person, though. And I think, you know, what what mattered to me was your personality. And and we shared that little time and space in in a little middle school in northwest Baltimore. You know what I'm saying? And I have to be honest, it wasn't until you were in high school I realized you were Jamaican. I just had that didn't occur to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know yeah. it's Jamaican people in Baltimore, to be honest. Yeah, man. We're heavy in Baltimore, honestly. We got but our own little corridor in the Northwest. I have this vague recollection. One of us, and I don't even remember who, ran out of money. And I remember I had, some, I had some bus tickets. Yeah. And we, huh? had to, we had to negotiate how we were going to get home with like $2 and do bus tickets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, man. Long, long memories. Wow. <laughs> but um, but anyway, you went on to graduate from uh, from Mervo. Mervo, yep. I went to Poly. So you were over there with your classmates with the current mayor, uh, Brandon yeah. Scott. Yeah, Brandon and, Scott was uh, he was an underclassman. Um, and, but and yeah, it's funny. Our our mutual friend, uh, I think you know Kobe Smith. Yes. Kobe uh, and me, along with our other mutual friend Nick, we all went to Mount Washington. Alex Galley mm-hmm. from um, Beach House, who's a little yeah. bit of a rock star. <laughs> uh, we all kind of grew up together. Um, so that's how I know, I know Brandon Scott because I ran track against him. Okay. A, yeah. a couple of years after Mer- you Mer- and Mer- I Mer- had, had one of the best track teams for sure. Uh, for, without, for, without even actually having a track, which that's is the fascinating thing, but like a generation too, there's like a generation of, of, you know, they went down to nationals and, yes. and were competing yeah. just a little, the group a little older than Which you. I had on my Mustangs uh, sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I mean, y'all are representing. And I, I like Brandon Scott. I don't know if you have a personal relationship with him. No, but, uh, I don't. I mean, it's the same thing as, real, as everyone else, you know, on Facebook. We've I know we've um, uh, been in the same room a few times because uh, working with some charity organizations, uh, we've crossed paths doing that, you know, mentoring kids and uh taking them on school and college tours and basketball games so yeah so i i, I lost track of you then would have been about the year 2000 mm-hmm. um i you went moved, you, i you went to the country man i went to havana cuba for a year yeah, you left the country <laughs> i studied spanish in havana cuba yeah and you still have that you still retain that knowledge you still bilingual oh. Yeah, yeah, I I do my Spanish interpretation at the hospital and keep right. up on it. But you know, are people shocked when you uh when you speak Spanish to them? Only a little bit more shocked when I try to speak Chinese. But oh, there's a little story. bit of that. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I I don't know exactly when, but the the sort of the thread that I remember is that you went to either Afghanistan or Iraq with. Oh I yeah, I was in Army. Iraq. Yeah, in two thousand four. I was deployed for a year, went to Iraq. Um, I was in the Army Reserve, but they activated me um, and sent me to Iraq, deployed for a year. And Where that did was you quite, an, um, quite an experience. I was in uh, Mosul, Iraq. I'm sure you've heard the name. Wow. Pretty, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a hotbed for activity, but. Mostly I know from the fall of Mosul, which is yeah. really like a, yeah. 
historical I mean, it, moment. The, the control has been shifted back and forth since I've been there. So, you know, one minute yeah. it's under control, the next, you know, it's under terrorist control. Hold up. Wait a minute, and all respect due to Harry Kondabolu and W. Kamal Bell, but uh, have to take a moment to recognize this historically and racially motivated term, terrorist, that Sergeant Ferguson just said. Matter of fact, we'll hear Sergeant Ferguson describe the at times violent force displacement of entire areas around U.S. forces in Mosul, which begs the question, what does terrorist mean in this context? We'll have to dig into that deeper with Sergeant Ferguson at some point next time. Uh, but for now, at the time of the interview, honestly, it made me uncomfortable and I deflected and changed the topic. So we'll have to revisit that in the future. I've started the conversation with him offline, but let's see how much of it we can get on the mic next time we talk. It's a, it's a pretty hot area, man. I mean, for when I was there, um, it was, it was a lot of activity. And for that reason, like the military pretty much ev uh, evicted the town. Our base was like a hundred feet on the border of uh, the city. And we were getting hit with mortar attacks daily. And so I think the military <laughs> just put up, put out the word like, all right, everyone that lives within this radius, you guys got to leave. Wow. And they, there's so no what, options. What time period were you in that Missoula area? 2004 and 2005. Yeah. And yeah. I, I interviewed October another friend of mine. October 2005, to be specific. I, I interviewed another friend of mine, and, and I was a little bit more meticulous in my research. And he had been in Fallujah during the initial siege oh, yeah, of Fallujah. That, that, yeah, Fallujah was crazy, I think. Or he had been in a cordon around Fallujah yeah. and, and engaged people there. Yeah, that, um, I would have been scared to go to Fallujah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, um, and I, you don't know, there's going to be people, I have friends of mine that, you know, have a different experience at that time. And, uh, you know, one of these things that we're going to talk about, we're going to, mm -hmm. you and I are going to interview Justin Fenton. Yeah. Um, who, interestingly, I went to college with, I have to be honest, I never remember speaking to his face. Yeah. But I have numerous arguments with him over the telephone. <laughs> yeah. I used to just call newsrooms where he worked and, and, yeah. and, <laughs> and argue my case. Was he a journalist in, in uh, college as well? At College Park, yeah. So I went to University yeah. of Maryland. Right, exactly yeah. right. Did you agree with his, uh, his writing, his viewpoints? Um, I have to say, maybe I'll say this to him, but he wrote a recap of our four years of college, mm -hmm. which I found really compelling and moving, to be honest. Like, um, you know, I, I took a year off uh, mm -hmm. in Cuba and then entered University of Maryland. And then September 11th was right when we, you know, that first couple of weeks of school. Yeah. Then we had a fatal tornado that killed somebody on campus. Wow. And, you know, there was just a series of things that, including right before he wrote that article, he had been at a party and 20 minutes after he left, somebody was fatally stabbed. And okay. <laughs> he was, and like, I, in this story, him and I didn't talk about it, but um, I lived in this like, almost like a flop. It was like six people rented out this four bedroom house, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. To make it affordable. Yeah. And the same landlord was doing that all over. And somebody got mad at one of his other tenants and arson the house, killing three of them. Are you serious? Yeah. It was just like our time at University of Maryland was fucking crazy. Not to mention the riots, not to mention the fucking D.C. sniper. I mean, it's, we exciting. Over it, our it's shoulder. excitement, though, man. You, you know, <laughs> now you have all these memories to pull uh, to pull back on. So you know, when I was graduating, he wrote this. Yeah, exactly. When I was graduating, he wrote this article that was like, hey, this is the last four years. 
Mm-hmm. And and I was uh, I really ever since then I've given him credit even when we disagree yeah. that he is a talented writer you know what yeah. I'm saying I, I agree I, and and um, he came up because of course you and I obviously discussed his book that just came out which is now uh, adapted by HBO and going to be a, a miniseries coming soon so basically what the wire part two <laughs> well ex- I was going to call <laughs> the I next think it's edition season of- six season six <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm, I'm I'm highly anticipating that you know I I look forward to it the book was awesome and um you know I was when we were talking about it and you said well you know you went to school you, you let me know you went to school with them and then we came up with the idea of you know doing an interview for him on the podcast which is something I'm excited about as well but you and I need to catch up and uh definitely yeah so after after uh, serving in Iraq, you came back. That would have been what two thousand five something. So like I came that. back from Iraq October two thousand five. But there's a period where um, you know they don't just bring you back from war and then push you back into the your your um, the real world of your career. So there's a demobilization period where you kind of get yourself reacclimated to being back home. And I mean that probably involves a bit of celebrating and drinking, as you can imagine. Uh, just just excited to be back on U.S. soil, um, you know, excited to see your family and friends again and just go out and have 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 fun. So there was a period where we got to just demo, you know, relax, get reacclimated to um, home life. And then uh, I went back to work in 2006. Yeah. So before I left, I was already a police officer because oh, I, I didn't remember that. Okay. Yeah, as I stated, I was I joined the reserve. So I was a part time soldier. You know, that was my goal, uh, being a part time soldier for the one for the uh, the challenge to see if I could, you know, um, make it through basic training, which I did, you know, at 17 years old, still in high school. Um, You know, I I wanted the challenge. And then obviously you do get paid while you're in the military for your service. And then most importantly was the school money, which I never actually used because after I graduated, I joined the police cadet program, which paid for schooling as well. So um, yeah, I was already a police officer. So when I came back um, to Iraq, I had a full-time career to go back to. So, you know, I took my uh, three months and enjoyed life for a little bit, celebrated being home and then went right back to work, man. But I I think the difference is once you make it out of um, Iraq, a war zone, and this is probably a good segue into, you know, what we really want to talk about. you know, people sometimes compare Baltimore City to a war zone with the amount of, you know, trauma and deaths and, and violent crimes. And, you know, the numbers are comparable, right? When you look at how many people died in Iraq or in this area, num- the numbers, you know, over a year span, and the numbers are comparable. So um, I think going to Iraq and surviving that um, definitely made me more comfortable or sure um, in my policing career. And I think, you know, making it through there, I came back home and like, well, if I made it through Iraq, the streets of Baltimore is nothing compared to that, you know, yeah. and my mindset was different after that. And, and it's, you have an interesting perspective, I think. Um, cause like you say, you're from an immigrant family, but you grew up in Baltimore, mm-hmm. you spent time in Iraq. And I think, you know, my friends who have written about, uh, policing, in the city, like Banner Woods and and Brandon Soderberg, um, and a lot of other people, um, if you listen to the language of policing in America, it very yeah. much incorporates the language of the military, the military. of the mm-hmm. occupying force. Yeah. Um, 
and this whole idea of the warrior culture, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, sort yeah, of a there trend. There definitely are thing. similarities, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and that's something to to definitely to think about and, and I want to digest. But I was, before I had that thought, I was just trying to remember, you came up in the Southern or the Southwestern? Yeah, district? Southern, Southern District Policing. Um, that was my first assignment. So that- You were it, like it, either down Cherry Hill or Westport? Cherry, yep, Cherry Hill and Westport. And then, um, yeah, Cherry Hill and Westport majority, and and then Brooklyn, some parts of that. That's that's a that's a that's a hot area to get, you know, as your first assignment as a police officer. Definitely. I mean, at the time, Cherry Hill was probably one of the most historically violent posts or communities in the city, right? And Westport was, you know, probably second. You know, when I got assigned to Westport, you know, um, I grew up in the city, obviously, but you know, I was still somewhat sheltered. You know, I had parents at home who, you know, set rules in place. You're not going here, there, and you weren't, you're just going to be doing whatever you want. I had rules. So I never ventured to those areas. I never, I'd never been to Cherry Hill, Westport before policing. And once I got assigned there, um, you know, it's interesting. I went to work one day and I was looking at uh, what we call a, um, a, a criminal organization chart, an org chart. And it was listing individuals who were known to commit um, crimes and violent crimes or being uh, part of drug trafficking organizations. And I saw people that I graduated high school with, you know, on that chart. And then some of them were X'd out. And I was like, what does that mean? And they're like, oh yeah, they were killed in Westport or they were killed in Cherry Hill. And I was like, wait, that person's the same age as me. And, you know, you know, why is my life on this trajectory and theirs mm. there or ended up in this place, and you know, that was an interesting um, uh, dynamic for me when sure. once once I got there. And so, uh, when did you move up from? Uh, are, are you still based in a district based, or you know, citywide as a detective? So yeah, my, you know, at, at this point, um, so I started my career with uh, BPD in two thousand one, January two thousand one, January 9th. and so tech, this is my twentieth year <laughs> in policing. I was a police cadet for the first two years. Then I went to the police academy in 2003, graduated that in October 2003 and went, uh, was assigned to Cherry Hill. Um, I spent the first five years of my career in patrol um, and actually on the midnight shifts, which were, you know, I was a post officer for Cherry Hill in, in itself. Um, after that, I, uh, I began doing um, short-term drug investigations and what you would call the uh, district operations squad and spent the next three, four years there. And then I moved to a citywide um, in- drug investigations unit. And from there, it's been pretty much drugs in different capacities, violent repeat right. offender squads, um, uh, major case squads, undercover squad. And then uh, finished my last stint in the state's attorney's office, which probably is one of my most um, valued um, assignments because, you know, so much of policing is this one view, right? The arrest and all that. And then that assignment made me realize there's there's so much after the arrest. There's a criminal right. process, trial process. And, and and it matters how you do things from, from, and it, from Exactly. Jump. You know, every little um, T needs to be crossed and every I dotted because the criminal justice system is not what you and I think, oh, well, yeah, we have him on tape, you know, committing this crime. That's enough, right? Like, no, there are checks and balances in the criminal justice system where you can have someone on tape and they could still get off 
because they have certain rights and certain criteria has to be met. And so, you know, that was a big learning experience for me. And after that assignment, I got promoted. And now I can take that knowledge of, you know, of the entire process and teach, you know, the, the guys that are coming up under me at this point. So right now I am, um, I went to patrol for eight months as a patrol sergeant. And then I moved back to a, uh, my specialty, the field of uh, drugs and guns. I went back in uh, the end of January, February, February 1st, um, I was assigned um, to supervise a drug unit in the Western District, which is, mm -hmm. you know, pretty much the, it's most famous for being the Freddie Gray uh, um, area, right? It's uh, encompasses though the, um, the projects, Gilmore Homes, in which, you know, he made famous. And now, um, ironically, I only spent a month doing that and they asked me to do a new assignment, which is doing uh, uh, detectives, um, district detectives investigations into robberies, shootings, ag assaults, things of that nature. So um, that's a new for me. I, I start that in a week. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> right. And, and uh, yeah, there, there's kind of a lot there and even kind of alluded to it. I, I, um, I tried to write something. I don't think anyone really read it, but um, about uh, Freddie Gray and the Gilmore Homes. And then there was that the kid from, I think who lived at the Gilmore Homes that shot a Baltimore County police officer. Yeah, Dante um, uh, Harrison, I believe. Yeah, yeah in northeast Baltimore County. Yeah. And the interesting thing, there's so much history wrapped up in stuff that, that we don't even perceive. Mm -hmm. Gilmore, as I remember it, was a Confederate general that beget, then became the head of the Baltimore Police Department. Oh, really? Wow. And actually, Gilmore was involved in skirmishes and fighting and defeating the Union Army in northeast Baltimore County. Hmm. Not, not far from the area. Probably not we should be honoring, huh? <laughs> the, well, yeah, there, you could say that. But I, I think what bothers me even more than that is there's just so much the weight of history weighs on everywhere, but Baltimore in particular, that's what I know, without us having any appreciation of perception oh of yeah it, you know what I mean? there's a lot of history a lot of history there that i wasn't even aware of so you know that's that's pretty fascinating to know and and i'm looking forward to uh talking to um justin fenton about his book about basically yeah. it's about police corruption in baltimore mm -hmm. and yeah. and uh what's interesting is some friends of mine and i mentioned uh, baynard and brandon mm -hmm. uh put out this book and managed to beat him to it. So they, have, they, they got off the jump and have a little bit of a different, different perspective. So that's the other book called monsters, right? Yeah. I, I got um, a monster, yeah. which that quote appears in Brandon Sauter or rather in um, Justin, Justin Fenton's, Fenton's book. book. We yeah. own this city. Yeah. And of um, course it's, you know, it's a quote from Wayne Jenkins himself. So, you know, I think it's a pretty um, significant quote to mention. Yeah. It, it's, it, it ties everything in and, and it's, it's, there's irony in the statement as well. So and, you know, one, one, one thing we, we had a conversation and it's funny cause I, I, I let the, the comments sink into my head and you had mentioned that you thought that Justin Fenton's book, or you at least heard that it was less biased. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, what occurred to me is that I think we all have biases. Yes, of course. And every, every one of us do. The ones we least recognize are the ones that fit with our own, particularly if it's sort of the dominant narrative, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, then and those are the ones we, we got, we have to pay attention to the most. Definitely, you have to at least be um, 
be cognizant of it. Otherwise, you're blind to it. Yes. Um, so I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to kind of interview him with me and talk to me. And what I take from that is um, good faith yeah. on your part to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to take a listen to challenge your assumptions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, I, I don't know who I'm that influential with, but anybody meets uh, Detective Ferguson in the streets, uh, <laughs> no assumptions except that he comes in, in, in good faith. You know what I'm saying? Whatever mistakes you're going to make are not uh, out of malice. Um, um, and, uh, also, uh, uh, so hope you challenge those, those assumptions that I'm going to try to challenge. I think Justin a little bit, like I always do when I talk to him, you know, conversation and dialogue is always good, man. You know, so, you know, too often in society, people pick a side and then they dig in, you know, and they, they hope to pull everyone else to their side. And when the truth is, you know, we all have to meet in the middle somewhere, you know, it's not all what I believe and it's not all what you believe. And it's like, what's the compromise? And, you know, some, of course, some things you can't compromise on everything. Some things you, you do have to maintain a stand on, but yeah, you don't you know, compromise. The general idea is, uh, you know, where's that, that, that sweet spot that we all can exist in and, and, and get along. So. And the last time you and I, we, we had been planning to kind of meet up, um, but it mm-hmm. didn't work out was actually, unfortunately, at, uh, at the, the vigil for Dante Barksdale, who is um, really one of the leaders of Safe Streets. Yeah. And, you know, we, we were sort of joking about um, Justin's book is being picked up by David Simon and people at HBO. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the sixth season of The Wire. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Dante Barksdale, obviously through his name, people who know the city's history know how much he's tied up with that narrative, the mm-hmm. Avon Bodie Barksdale, yep. um, essentially being his uncle, although it's a composite character. But anyway, he was he was a really important violence interrupter, particularly in Southeast Baltimore. But I remember him being very active in in Cherry Hill. They have a safe street site there. Did you overlap with the safe streets in Cherry Hill? Uh, by the time um, that that came around in Cherry Hill, I was already I switched assignments and I, I moved out of that district, out of that area. So when that came around, I was no longer, you know, in the region. So we missed each other. Um, and, you know, and, and to be quite honest, like, I think the, the police department has its own views of, you know, or m- m- most police officers have their own views and opinions about, you know, who he was as a person and mm-hmm. you know, how successful his methods were and the Safe Streets program as a whole. Um, but I think what we can officially recognize is they have a, a few centers in Cherry Hill. And for the last two years, Cherry Hill has went without a homicide or a shoot, or a non-fatal um, uh, non-fatal shooting. Well, it, there was a year there was no homicide and maybe no shooting, and then oh, it's it's two now. <laughs> there was I, I I have to look. I, I thought I remember there was a couple of shootings recently. Um, yeah, I think it, it's, down there. I think they're, they're, they've hit the two-year mark where, you know, maybe something happened close by or around the region, and you know it's it's um, it's amazing to hear because obviously that's where I got my start in policing, and that's where like I was manned. And it's just knowing that the place went from su- like such a violent place, right, to to where it is now. And and I will credit, you know, the police officers who we did have, a you know, a huge impact. And, you know, I remember um, even within the last four, three, four years, uh, the feds adopted a big RICO case in which they um, extracted, and I hate hate to say it like that, but they took out a lot of the guys that were causing some of those issues and were able to, um, you know, 
uh, bring federal cases against them. So a lot of players are removed from that that area, and you you need that, you know, because you know some guys just contribute to the violence no matter what, you know, no matter what resources you throw at them or options you give them, you know, some people just they flock to that violent culture, that lifestyle, and so you know, once they were removed, and you know, I think that the neighborhood was it was given a chance to kind of come together and build itself up and, and look where it, where it is now, you know, two years without violent incidents. That's, that's pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and one of the things that I'm going to ask us to think about, and I think as uh, Brandon and Baynard wrote about actually for the intercept after their book was mm-hmm. how the gun trace task force, at least, you know, we have some uh, recordings of them, uh, being really hostile and having some suspicious arrests that were overturned, presumably yeah. for planting evidence mm-hmm. on at least two of, of the safe streets. Um, okay. Uh, workers. Okay. Yeah. Um, and one of them based out of Mondawmin and I'm, I'm trying to remember where the other one was. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just they, they, they um, set that up with the paradigm or, or with the lens that it's also about what are our priorities. Part of that is what are the priorities of the Baltimore Police Department, which I think that this book really, really calls us to challenge and hold to account the people who set those priorities and yeah. set what metrics we're going to measure them over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but why, why that such an influential and empowered group in the headquarters of Baltimore Police Department who were committing rampant crimes yeah. also felt like they had to go after, they had to challenge, they had to. Um, plant evidence on safe streets people. And, and what does that say also about where we place our financial priorities and where do we yeah. fund yeah. Um, and you know, interventions? It, it's interesting, you know, and, I, and I'll mention this here too, I'll probably say in the podcast, but Justin Fenton reached out to me um, right. for the book, for research for his book, because, you know, I did cross paths with Wayne Jenkins and a couple, one other, well, a couple other guys uh, in the story. So I have my own experiences and my opinions of them you know, as police officers. And, you know, I, I, we, we never quite made, you know, an appointment or, or um, made to sit down, Justin Fenton and I, to um, sit down and talk about some things. But, I, you know, I'm pretty sure I, I have some things that he would have found <laughs> useful. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath, as they say. Yeah, for, for his book. And, and it's, you know, maybe they, maybe they can use it in a miniseries. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. No. Maybe they'll introduce think... you to David Simon. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> As long as they get Michael B. Jordan to play me, you know, we got exactly. Same, we got I mean, hey, body he was type. on the last one. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the last one. Yeah, he was Wallace. That's the crazy thing. <laughs> yes, he was Wallace. In Baltimore, he was just Wallace. He went out to a condo. No, wa- yeah, was wa- Wallace was taken Panther. out, man. You know, he was a, he was a, he was a, uh, a crowd favorite and they took him out. <laughs> but, that's, um, yeah. that's not a bad idea. Anyway, you got to you got to talk to him about that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, man, it, you know, I, I am looking forward to, uh, to speaking to him because, you know, as you alluded to, I think his book was very well written, you know, as a police um, officer, I, I, I was able to read it, you know, through every lens as a black man, as a immigrant, as a, you know, as a father, as a, you know, police officer and really walk away with a feeling like this was, uh, well-researched. You know, this didn't come off as, you know, being biased. It, I didn't find it to be like anti-police or anti-this. It just, you know, the facts of the matter are this. And, you know, these are the issues that, you know, we're presented with and, and, and you know, let's move on. So I, I think 
the book was was extremely well written. I've recommended it to all of my cop friends, and and you know, to be honest, a lot of them were already on it, and you know, a lot of police support that you know that book. So um, it's 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 a uh, it's something I'm definitely looking forward to, man. I you know I I I can't say for certain about your other friends who wrote uh, <laughs> I Have a Monster, but you know, from the, the perception from the officers that I have talked to is that, you know, that book was really like, you know, anti-police or, you know, and, and, and something that's written with that agenda, I, you know, I, I tend to kind of stick away from, you know, stay away from, I like, well, I, I challenge you, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to buy it uh, and send it to you or send it right, to the audio. Okay, yeah. Cause no, cause here's the thing. I actually think that you, you already know, you know, what are you afraid of? You're afraid of a, a you already know another a narrative that's, you know, Justin's yeah. narrative is very highly informed by police sources, including, you know, Gwyn and, and Davis and other people who yeah. are close yeah. to the problem to begin with. You know what I mean? Um, but that being said, you can have a counter narrative and, and you can ju judge it in context. Mm -hmm. And it's also I give them credit. It's well written. It's a compelling okay. narrative. Yeah. Um, and if you enjoy it as a true crime story um, that just turns it on its head. Anyway, I'm going to send it to you after you read it. You'll tell me what you think. Right. <laughs> before you read it, it's hard to really know what you. Yeah, think about we can it. actually revisit uh, on a, on an episode. That, sound, that sounds fair. And and have a book club discussion, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. All my friends are writing books these days. I'm excited yeah. about it. I got to catch up. Yeah, that means you got to do one too, man. Exactly. That's I'm point. sure you see a lot in that trauma center, dude. You know. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot there, and and one thing that um, you know. Baltimore obviously is, is famous for our shock trauma center, which I'm sure you know about. Yeah, yeah. I spent some time there, and I'm sure you spent a bunch of time there if you're working yeah. in the southern. On the other end, yeah, yes, yes, take bringing in victims, yes. So um, one thing survivors that, sometimes, hopefully. Yeah, one thing that was um, definitely there when um, speaking to like the, the nursing staff or the doctors was, you know. They, they were amazed at how many people were reoccurring victims of violence, right? Oh, yeah. How many guys, like, get shot up one year and they, you know, save their life, patch them up, put them back together and send them home. And then sometimes even months later or a year later, they're back in, you know, shot up again. And most people go their entire life without being shot. And, you know, it's just odd to imagine that, you know, people find themselves in that position to, for that to happen to them repeatedly, you know. Yeah, the Western's a dangerous place to be. I ran the numbers one time, and it was like mm. as dangerous as the worst city in in Venezuela or yeah, El Salvador. Per, yeah, per capita, it's, it it it's, if you just look at the Western for sure. Yeah, it's been historically the most violent area in um in Baltimore City, and I, I think obviously also because it's one of the smallest areas with so much violence. You know. Yeah. 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 So. Um. So. You know, we 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 we're gonna prepare for this uh, Justin Fenton interview and get into the meat and potatoes of our discussion. That sounds and, good. Anything that you wanted to ask me to to talk about? We got a couple of minutes before we have to turn um, this one off and set up the next. No, I I, I think what I, you know what we are gonna get into in the um, in the episode is gonna you know get to it all. Like you know everything else about you that I care about is just personal, and you know <laughs> we're not gonna get into that. <laughs> Well, I, um, you know, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I look forward to it. And, you know, we, uh, that's why I was thinking, when was I actually, I'm trying to think of the year that I was working in shock trauma and you were in Southern 
mm-hmm. think you were based maybe even in Pigtown. Is that so in Southern? Yeah, that, well, I worked. Did in you Pigtown. ever work that district? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, I Pigtown. kept expecting Pigtown. to see you. I was only there for a couple of months. I kept expecting to see you, but when I came back to Baltimore, <laughs> I was on the east side at Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. It's well, you know, it's it's they probably kept me so busy running around, you know, chasing bad guys that you know it's probably what I was more focused on or something. So, you know, right, right. hit or miss. That's how it is some some days. Well, look, I, I have to be honest, I, I feel um, uh, blessed, I guess you would say, to catch up with you, spend a little time. Likewise. Think about, likewise. Think about the friendship we had so many yeah. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, likewise. And I, I usually recommend, uh, a, a, at the end of, of any recording episode, a, a book, a, a music album, a piece of art or something like that. And uh, I'm going to recommend a couple of things to you. I have to ask, have you ever... Did you ever eat at uh, Nick's restaurant in Mount Washington, uh, Ethel's uh, Creole Kitchen? No, I have not. W- you, you have, what's it called? It's called Ethel's Creole Kitchen. Okay. It's uh, the, basically the best gumbo in Baltimore. Really? Okay. In Mount Washington. Yeah, our mutual you, friend you, Nick you, Creamer you, you, you is the chef You put your stamp there. on it? Oh, I mean, look. he Nick taught me what I know about gumbo. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So anyway. Definitely check that out. I'm sure he'll be thrilled to. to Am I going to see they, him there or is he? Once, in, well, know? look, once they reopen dining, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, They've been yeah, playing yeah. it cautious in the COVID era. But once yeah. everybody gets vaccinated, you got to take your family out there. Oh. It's on me if you actually make it out there. It's on me. <laughs> so you, you went to Polly and um, indeed there was a lot of classmates because um, I actually, if you remember or not, I crashed your prom. Um, I was at the prom. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember because, that. Because a lot of my funny. friends were at the poly. So um, a, a friend set me up on a date with with uh, some, some girl. It wasn't Danielle McRae, was it? No, her name was Ebony. <laughs> okay, um, all right. I actually, I'm joking because she's that McRae's <laughs> a, 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 a city and, council member, yeah. Okay. And I <laughs> um, so I was at Polly's prom and a lot of the guys there, you know, I, I did, you know, uh, maintain some friendships over the years and um there, there um there's a there's one that owns a uh a ramen noodle restaurant yeah uh, oscar lee perhaps. oscar yes yeah yeah okay yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so spoken him in the, in the long I, I i i support you know whenever i can and he knows like i i, I go to his place too that's i looked that up cool. i i've forgotten about that it's been yeah. a long time since i saw him so but All definitely right, i will i will check out ethel's uh Ethel, creole kitchen creole kitchen you know. I'll I'll get your address and send you some takeout. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know I, I you know I take your recommendations, man. I listen to Alex's music. You know, <laughs> it's uh, you know I'm I'm an open minded guy, buddy. So, yeah. all right, my friend. Well, anything that you want to recommend to to me or my people, uh, art, books, music, anything that you're into right now. Um. So the 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 only thing that I would have recommended you already uh, got was Justin Fenton's book. You know, that's probably the last thing that I read in a long time because it was of interest to me. Uh, music, there's nothing out there that, you know, that, that's really like catching my ear. These these days, the, the kids are, you know, I li- I'll listen to it, but, you know, the, the music nowadays is just, you know, I, I'm not going to be so, like, hey, Simon, check out so, WAP, you know, so what, by Megan yeah. Stallion or something. Like Honestly... Cardi B is, she's a superhero. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's a cartoon character, but she's a superhero. I'm yeah, totally rooting she's for She's entertaining. Her. Honestly, and I think we're. To, I think she operates in good faith. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She's like, here's what I learned as a stripper. 
And you know what? <laughs> now I can make commercial music and I'm, a, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I'm going to come with my whole self. Lessons if I had a daughter, I would not want her to take. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, look, there's a lot worse out there. Anyway, she's my superhero. I, I co-sign Cardi B. I don't care. You stamp it, huh? Yeah, right. Exactly right. <laughs> I mean the video maybe I'll peep at it every now and then, but <laughs> <laughs> it's one of, it's like all oh, the Republicans say I only watch that video to find out how to get away from it. Yes, to do my research. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know the enemy. That's right. <laughs> Play it again. <laughs> <laughs> but um anyway, yeah, right. it's good to talk to you. Likewise, Let's get brother, everything likewise. all set up. We'll talk to uh, uh our friend Justin Fenton yep. about uh police corruption in Baltimore, the gun trace task force, and his new book. We own this city. And we will I will see you shortly. All right, looking forward to it. All righty. So sweet, so cold, so fast. Hey, 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 Baltimore. again for joining us on knife at the gunfight that was sergeant tristan ferguson and i am dr simon fitzgerald i look forward to our upcoming conversation with justin fenton about his new book on baltimore police corruption we own this city about the gun trace task force and the music you've been listening to is hey baltimore featuring rufus roundtree and easy jackson that was featured on tt the artist's new movie on netflix dark city beneath the beat about baltimore club music Thanks again for joining us. I was down Lexington Market Looking for some tree Security guards started looking at me I tried to keep it cool I tried to keep it straight Then all of a sudden started dancing in the place I was dancing for no reason Dancing for no reason Started dancing for no reason Dancing for no reason I was rocking for no reason Rocking for no reason Started rocking for no reason for I, no I, I was down Cross Street Market, trying to find some tree. Little white lady started looking at me. I tried to keep it cool, I tried to keep it straight. Then all of a sudden, started rocking in the place. I was rocking for no reason, rocking for no reason. Got the rocking for no reason, rocking for no reason. I was dancing for no reason, dancing for no reason. Got the dancing for no reason. Dancing for no reason. Hey Baltimore. Hey Baltimore. Hey Baltimore. Hey Baltimore. Hey. Hey Baltimore. Hey Baltimore. Hey Baltimore. Dancing for no reason. Hiding, hiding.